So we have uphill dreams, uphill hopes. These are all the things we have that we want in our life. We want good marriage. We want good finances. We want the people closest to us to have a love and respect that is mutual. We, we, have, we want to take good vacations. We want to have a few toys. We want to have a decent house, have all of our needs met and some of our wants. We have uphill hopes. Everybody has them. You have them. I have them. They're important. They drive us. They motivate us. They're what we dream about. Uphill hopes. The problem is, on the other side of the equation, we have downhill habits. Uphill hopes, downhill habits. That's a problem. It's a problem because you're never going to reach your uphill hopes with your downhill habits. I hope to have the body of a God. But I have downhill habits. When I'm in a hurry, when we're in a hurry as a family, we don't take time to plan our meals and get them rolling and figure out how we're going to manage all that stuff. You know what we do? We drive through the closest, most convenient Taco Bell we can find. That's a downhill habit that doesn't align with my uphill hope, right? You know about this, don't you? I mean, we could color this uphill hope and downhill habit thing in with eight, nine, ten examples that most everybody in the room could relate to. I have uphill hopes for my finances. I do. I bet you do too. And I got some downhill habits that are <laughs> making my uphill hopes a little harder to attain. And that's why, by the way, as a church, we're doing uh, Financial Peace University. It was in a situation very much like financial peace where I first got exposed to how to change some of my downhill habits to help me achieve some of my uphill hopes. And I bet for a lot of you, you could benefit from that. And if you wanted to, right there on your back of your message notes is the information. You just email that link. They'll send you a link that you sign up for and you can start changing some downhill habits to reach some uphill hopes. I want to talk to you about one uphill hope that I've had for about 25 years. And it's one I'm not giving up on. In fact, by the time we get done today, I want to change for a lot of us a downhill habit. And I want to help all of us reach an uphill hope. I want to change this because I think it's, I think it's really central to why we're even here. And by here, I mean a church anyway. So you, you may not know this, but we're coming up on our 13th anniversary. We're going to blow through over the next 12 months or so our 13th full year of ministry. And 13 for many people is an unlucky number. For us, it's going to be a good year. It's going to be a really great year. And, and, and when we first got together as a group of people thinking about starting this church almost 15 years ago, like this thing started before we started publicly holding services, we, we were talking about something we wanted to see God do. It was an uphill hope. It would not be normal, natural, easy. We all, all of us had downhill habits that ran counter to this uphill hope. And we knew that it would require an incredible amount of effort and energy to change it. And in fact, not just effort and energy on our parts. We knew that if God wasn't going to help us, we were going to fail. 
It was that kind of an uphill hope. It was the kind of uphill hope that we couldn't do just by willpower. We wanted to see our friends and neighbors, people we loved, our family, that lived within about a 15-minute drive cycle of where we were moving and at the time, a meeting, and at the time that was at the, what was called the Rave Theater. Now it's AMC down on Union Center. We, we wanted people within about 15 minutes of that place. We wanted those people who didn't have a relationship with God to find one. We wanted our loved ones who didn't know that the Lord loved them, wanted a relationship with them. They had missed conceptions about church, about God's heart, about Christian people. We wanted them to come into a vibrant, life-giving relationship with Jesus, but not just Jesus, with his church as well. And the metaphor in our minds was, it'd be really cool if you said to me, Ben, I think you're an awesome guy, but I can't stand your wife. That was the metaphor we had in mind. And we thought that would be a horrible thing for people to say, I love Jesus, I just don't like his bride the church. And so we wanted to create a church where people could come right as they were. They could be real and they could experience the love of God through God's spirit and through God's people. And they could do it right now. There'd be no barrier to keep them from doing it. That's what we wanted. That was our uphill hope. <laughs> but we had some, some downhill habits. Most of our friends were Christians. Most of the people we hung around with and talked to, they were Christians. And we had love and hope for people who weren't connected to God or his church. But we weren't really doing much about that. Here's one of the early conversations we had. As we met on Sunday nights in a local high school and we talked about the kind of church we wanted to be, one of the things we regularly talked about was that if God doesn't draw people our efforts are in vain. That, that, that we would put our best foot forward. We would do the hard work of planning and logistics and being ready and making sure our attitudes are right. And we do our best to let our light shine. But if God didn't call people to himself, our best efforts would not produce our highest hopes. God would have to do that work but we had some downhill habits. Here's something we were just honest about. Almost none of us were regularly praying and asking God to reach out to the people we cared about. Like in moments of sermons like this, we might be able to write a list of a handful of people we hoped would come to God. Like, like I'm gonna ask you to do that when we get done here today. In fact, right in the middle of your message notes that look like this, that has the gross stuff on the front and all the other cool stuff on the back, like Financial Peace University, right in the middle, at the bottom of that page, it says, who are you going to pray for? And so in a message like this, all of us could generate a list. <laughs> and then we'd go home, and that list would sit on a table somewhere, and maybe once a quarter, we'd clean up our bedroom, and it'd finally make its way into the trash. And that was about the biggest engagement that happened with that list of people that we really in our heart of hearts wanted them to have an active relationship with the Lord. But we weren't talking to God about that. And I don't know where you are about that dynamic of the habit of not really praying for the people that God has brought into your life, that he wants to use you and him in partnership to reach them. But since we've been talking about prayer over the last three weeks, and we've been doing a little bit of a of a, of a laboratory, a little, you know, 
practicum, if you will, on prayer, I thought it would be a real big miss if we didn't get really close to the heart of God in this prayer series and pray for the people that God has brought into our lives who don't have a relationship with him. These are people you are related to. They share your DNA. These are people who live in your zip code. (laughs) These are people whose kids go to your kid's school. These are people you work with. Who is it that is in your life that doesn't have a healthy relationship with their heavenly father through the work of Jesus or aren't connected to his bride, the church? You realize that's God's ultimate goal. It wasn't just get people into heaven. It was to get them to be a part of his family here on earth, to be a part, to be brothers and sisters and work together to do God's good work on this earth. You see it when Jesus taught his disciples to pray when he said the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He wanted us to do his will here. So what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna walk you through an uphill hope that I have. A hope that this church would stay, would continue, perhaps move in the, uh, with, with greater urgency and passion and clarity towards becoming a church that prays actively for lost people. Now let's talk about that word for just a second, the word lost. It sounds perhaps a little bit condescending if you don't have a background like I have. Now, when I say part of the mission of this church is to reach lost people, people far from God, that's, that can sound a little condescending. But I, but I want to tell you why we choose to use that word. We use that word because that's the word that Jesus used. In Luke chapter 15, when Jesus tells three parables, he uses three stories to talk about God's heart for people. The very heart that motivated us to come together as a church. The very heart, listen to me, listen to me. The very heart that somebody had for you. All of you are here. Every single person is here because somebody invited, invested, prayed for you. I came to Christ because my aunt had come to Jesus a few years earlier than my family did. And God put it on her heart to pray for my mom and dad. And she did. She prayed for us. She didn't just pray. She invited us to a church that she thought (laughs) that we would enjoy going to. She worked through the network of my cousins, her kids, to reach out to my mom and dad's kids, me and my siblings, to go to church with them. And all the while she was praying because the God that found her and rescued her from her lostness, she wanted that same thing to happen in the life of the people she cared about. She knew the stories in Luke 15, the story of a lost coin, that when it's found, there's great rejoicing. Uh, the, The story of a lost sheep, that the shepherd goes to great lengths to find. Lost coin, lost sheep. And for the life of me, the third one has slipped my mind. Anybody recall? See, you don't know any better than I do. I don't feel bad one bit. Three parables, three lost things. And when Christians talk about lost people, they're not talking about some category where people are better than others. Found people are better. No, no, no. They're talking about a life-changing experience that when you've had it and you care for somebody, it's just what you want for them. You want them to know what it's like to have an active relationship with Jesus. You want them to know what it's like. 
And so when I talk about praying for lost people, it's not that found people are better. It's just that found people find people. That's what we do. Found people find people. That's part of what it is to be found. It's to go out and look for other people. And one of the primary tools that gets left in the toolbox unused by found people is the tool of prayer. It's one of those habits that you either do or don't participate in. And if you do participate in them, nobody can talk you out of it. Nobody can say, quit praying. I mean, if you're a person of prayer, nobody's going to make you stop praying no matter what they say. You realize you waste a lot of time in prayer. You realize if you didn't pray, you'd regain 15, 20, 30 minutes of your day back. I mean, if you're a praying person, no person on earth is going to keep you from praying. And if you're not a praying person, it's really hard to believe what I'm saying is desperately true. It's just really hard to believe that if you prayed, it'd make that much of a difference. If prayer became a habit for you, and if you prayed for people who were lost, no matter how high your uphill hope is for the people you love, let's bring it down to earth. For your very kids, for your spouse, For your best friend, no matter how high your uphill hope is for them, it's very hard if you're not already a praying person to make prayer a habit that becomes a part of your life. And so we're going to change that today. And I know, (laughs) I know I can't do this on my own. And so I have been praying for you for about three weeks for this message. I've been praying for you as a congregation that God would take what I can't do, a very supernatural dynamic that happens when we pray, and he would make it very real to you. See, I've been doing this for a long time. And I think almost without God's help, in about 30, 40 minutes, I could make most of us feel guilty for not praying. I think I could do that. I'm pretty good. Ask my kids. I peddle guilt. I wasn't Catholic, but I just sometimes feel like I should get an honorary Catholic degree. I do. I can do guilt, man. I am, I am phenomenal at it, but I don't want to do guilt today. That's not what this is about. This is not about, oh, I should pray. That's not what this is about. This is about getting God's heart for lost people and then grabbing hold of the habit that God says found people should engage, grabbing hold of that tool and using it to find people. To make prayer a part of the dynamic. To not just worry about our kids or our spouse or our aunt or uncle or our parents or our neighbor, but to pray for them. A few weeks ago, um, I shared from this stage, if you weren't here, let me catch you up. And I, I will give you an apology on the front end if you were here. I can't hardly think about this story without getting emotional, all right? But I shared with you a story that I think we need to have in mind as we talk about prayer for a few minutes. And then we're going to, like we've done every other week in this series, we're gonna just pause and pray. I'm actually gonna give you a chance without standing on the stage, grabbing a mic, doing anything, to pray for the person in your life or the people in your life that God puts on your mind. Here's the story. I shared the story of of my son, Max, who was with his cousins in our backyard and they were playing hide and go seek. And we watched him. He was real young, three, four years old. And, uh, you know, just the cutest little thing. And 
And uh, he was with his cousins, which was a great time for us because that meant Jill and I could hang out with my sister and her husband, and we like them. We have a great time with them. And we're just kind of hanging out and chatting, and the kids are playing. And a long time passed before anybody actively looked after the kids. Long time. And, and eventually, one of the kids comes up and says um, to Jill, Jill, we can't find Max. Oh, it's all right. He's a pretty good hider. And he is, man. That kid's a, he's still kind of sneaky if you're not careful. And, and he, he can, you know, we can't find Max. All right? A few, we'll keep looking. Well, a few more. We can't find Max. And pretty soon it became clear we, we got trouble. And I, I told the story. You know, we looked, Jill and I looked, we are walking up and down the street. I get in the car and I'm driving out my window. I'm yelling, Max, Max. Like we're ready, like call the cops. And we found our son who, thinking it would be cool to hide, went to our unlocked van door and the, opened the door and climbed into his car seat, which he had been in many times and buckled himself in. There he was, and by the time I found him, he was lethargic and covered in sweat, and we were real close to losing him. I mean, real close. Real, it was ugly. It was one of those days that in a parent's mind, you never forget. And I remember that night after it was all over and me just praying and thanking God about the fact that we found my son and we were able, you know, we called the doctor and we were able, to, and he was, he was fine. I remember just thanking God for that and feeling God speak to me and say, that's exactly how I feel about my kids. Now think about this with me for a minute. What if while we were looking for my kids, what if while we were looking for Max, one of my kids would have come up and said, hey, dad, I'm hungry. What's for dinner? What if they had come up and said, hey, dad, let's go get some ice cream. Or, Dad, it's, it's cold in the house. Will you adjust the temperature? Now, those are fine questions. But not when I'm looking for my son. It's not, it's not okay to say, when are we going to eat? While we're mobilized looking for Max. It's not okay. It's not okay to say, I'm not comfortable Make me comfortable, Dad. Entertain me, Dad. Give me what I need, Dad. It's not okay to even apply logic. Then you have four children. You still have 75% of your kids. You don't really have to worry about the other one. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay for found people who've experienced the life-changing love of God in their life to not be passionate about the Father's heart for lost people. It's just not okay. It's okay to say things as a follower of Jesus that need to be addressed, to, to deal with things that are in front of you, so long as there is a corollary passion for lost people. But I've discovered the more that somebody's involved in a church, the longer they walk with Christ. If we're not careful, no matter how much we know it's an uphill hope, our downhill habits are such that we won't really make the Father's heart for lost people a priority in our lives. It's just what happens. 
I want to change that. I, I, I want us today as a congregation to, to turn. Like literally, I don't care how long you've been a Christian today. If you're not praying for lost people regularly, and I don't mean to be a jerk about this, you're simply not following the Father's heart. You're not. Again, if you're offended by that, that's okay. There are a lot of churches that won't tell you this. I get it. And if this is new for you, good. You're going to get some truth that's going to change you. My whole family is in church because somebody prayed for us. And God heard that prayer. And God did the part that only God can do. But people were faithful to do the part that God called them to do. It's not about guilt. It's about how precious is your personal relationship with Jesus. How special is it? And once you see that, it's hard to look at a lost person and not want that for them. But you can have all the high hopes in the world, but if you have downhill habits, it it ain't happening. You got to change. So let's pick up the toolbox of prayer. If you want, follow along your message notes. Go ahead and grab out your connect card. Make sure your name and email is on there so you can... Be ready to take some steps and let's fill in some blanks and then let's pray together. It could be that I have extra passion about this while you're getting your notes and stuff together because in two weeks, we're going to have the largest event on this campus or the second largest event on this campus we'll have all year. The the largest event every year for us is our Christmas Eve Eve service. And um, this is where we have all of our two-time-a-year guests come. They come Easter and, and Christmas Eve Eve. And I'm good with it. I love that. Like part of me wants to stand on the stage on Christmas Eve Eve, Eve and go, where have y'all been? But I'm not going to ever do that because I'm just glad they come, honestly. I'm just like, look, if that's all you got, I'm glad it's here and not somewhere else. It's fine. Keep coming twice a year. We're going to keep praying for you. It's, It's awesome. Now, if you're a good Christian and you know better, where have you been? That's what I want to say, all right? But if you're not and you don't know better, that's this is the place for you. But in two weeks, we're going to have our food truck rally. And I want you to invite two people to come to it. I, I know it's just food, right? But it's not just food. We're going to do our part, and we're going to trust God to do his part. I want you to invite two people to come to the food truck rally, and, and I want you to pray for them. And I want to show you right now how to do that. Here's how you pray for people that are not connected to God or his church. Number one, you pray that God would. This is the part that God can do. This is why we have to pray. You pray that God would draw the person, first blank, to himself. Now, why do we do this? Because John 6, is pretty clear. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Like, I can put together the most awesome package in the world. We can put together the greatest program, have the coolest light show, the greatest sound, fog, whatever it is. Dancers, I don't know. Whatever it takes to draw people these days. I can have, you know, clowns on stage doing cartwheels and draw a crowd. I can draw a crowd, but I can't draw people to the Father. Only the Father can do that. Only God can do that. Only God can draw people to himself. Now, we try to arrange a date. You ever have somebody you you think should be together? Like, you can't make them fall in love, but some of you have done what I've done, haven't you? You arranged a date or two? Yeah, that's what we're trying to do sometimes. We arrange a date. Get people up close and personal and let them see how good God is. Hoping that, that that softens the heart so that God draws them and they're aware of his drawing. So the first thing we do is, God, would you draw them? So when I'm praying for the people, and what I call this will sound very um, ungodly to you for a second, but I have a spit list. 
regularly in my life. It's a little uh, sticky note with some names on it. And uh, I put it right there on the mirror in my bathroom. And when I'm brushing my teeth, that's why it's my spit list, I pray for these people. Right? I, I wanted to create a habit so that I don't forget what's important to me. This week, if you open my computer, you'll see a sticky note on it. There are a handful of names of people I'm praying for. So when I open my computer, which I do often through the day, I have to move that note, put it down just below my keyboard off the screen, and it reminds me, I have uphill hopes for people. <laughs> but I got downhill habits. I could just pray for me. In fact, if, you, if I'm not careful, all my prayers impact about a six-foot diameter. That's not wrong. It's incomplete. If I'm not careful and God will answer all my prayers, you know what? Sometimes if I'm not careful, the only world it will change is mine. It won't change anybody else's. I have this thing with God where I ask him for a lot of stuff. Like, just for me. That's not wrong. It's incomplete. It's incomplete. God wants to draw lost people to himself, and he wants us to pray for them. And we pray by asking God to draw them to himself. Number two, we pray that God would soften the person's heart for openness to the gospel. Heart for openness. To God and a heart for openness. I like what the prophet Ezekiel said. When he was talking about a time when God would move dramatically on the face of the earth. Here's what the prophet Ezekiel described it as a time would be like this. And I'll give them a, one heart and a new spirit. And I'll put it within them. And I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. In other words, spiritually speaking, sometimes the heart is hardened like stone. And, and, and God wants to soften it. When God's work is active, he softens people's hearts. That's why sometimes when people get uh, marriage counseling... Now, one of the things that I'm aware of is sometimes no matter how much truth is dispensed, the heart is hardened and it can't fall on fertile soil. So sometimes the heart has to be softened. This goes back to Jesus' parable about the seed and the sower. Some seed fell on hard soil and it would not take root. So we want soft hearts. And in Acts 16, 14, look at how the Lord used Paul's preaching and the Bible says that the Lord opened her or Lydia's heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And that's why, honestly, if you were to ask the tech team today, what is one of their primary goals as they do their ministry, that they do incredibly well, all volunteers, you know what they would tell you? We want to create a distraction-free environment to the best of our ability. Why? They don't want anything taken away from the message. They don't want anything to take away from somebody engaging in the songs to the best of their ability, a distraction, and they do an incredible job. Why? Because they know that it's resistant anyway. It's uphill anyway to get the gospel into a person's heart. And so we're going to do the best we can. But no matter what we do, we need God to soften that person's heart so that when we do it, they can hear it. You invite your friends on food truck rally, and I'd suggest you go ahead and make a $25, $30 investment and tell them that if they'll come, you'll buy their food. That's about 12 bucks per person. That would be more than enough food. We have price points from like three bucks up to 12 bucks, all right? So I'm like, get them the Cadillac of whatever it is we got here that day. 
Mercedes of whatever we got them here that day. Go ahead and, you know, spend a few bucks, invest $25, $30, invite two people to come, tell them you're going to buy them lunch, and buy their lunch. But don't just buy their lunch. Put them in here, and the whole time they're here during service, and we're singing, and I'm talking, you pray that they'll be open to what I'm saying. And my commitment to you is this, that if you bring them, I'll do my best to do what Paul did regularly. Preach Jesus in a way that it can be understood. So that if God's at work at all, if he's blowing at all, and they're open at all, the gospel will take root in their hearts. And I'm talking about people who are far from God and people who are far from God's church. By the way, that's about 74% of the people who live within about a 15-minute drive cycle of this place. About 74% are not actively connected to a church. They go about twice a year. Almost 50% haven't gone to church in the last 12 months. That's this zip code. That's, that's got to change. That's not God's heart. Number three, we're gonna pray that God would remove spiritual blindness. Enable the person you're praying for to see their need of a savior. Some people come to church because of relationships, that's good. It's just incomplete. Some people come to church because they're in times of transition and turmoil and tension, and that's good. It's just not enough. They need to know they need a Savior. If the world had needed a doctor, God would have sent a physician. If the world would have needed a lawyer, he would have sent a lawyer. If the world would have needed, you know, financial betterment, God would have sent a financial planner or a banker, but he didn't send those things. He sent a Savior. Because what the world needed was to be saved from its sin. The penalty of sin for eternity, the grip of sin here and now, that's what God wanted when God said, I love the world so much, I'm going to send my only son. He sent him so that people who would believe on him would have eternal life. It was a spiritual condition. And sometimes people don't know, they're not aware they have a spiritual need. They know they have a relational need, a financial need, a physical need, but they don't realize that at the core, the answer to every problem is a savior. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul writes these words. In their case, talking about the, the Corinthians around them, the God of this world blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Their minds are blinded. It's not that they're just rebellious. There's a spiritual dynamic that keeps a person from seeing. That's why sometimes your kids, my kids, will walk and act absolutely stupid sometimes in their life. It's not just that they're immature. There are spiritual dynamics. And the God of this world will blind people. It's why people who know better will wake up one day and have ruined their marriage. There's a blindness on them. They don't see it. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul talking to this pastor, Timothy, and he says these words. God may perhaps, talking to Timothy and the people he leads, about Timothy and the people he leads, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Yeah, the Bible says there's a real spiritual battle, and it has to be one spiritual. Number four, we're going to pray and ask God to help you develop your relationship with the person. 
and that the light of Christ would shine through you. Help you develop your relationship. Look at how Paul kind of weaves together the person who needs the gospel and the people who share the gospel. Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? So how are they going to believe if they don't know about it? How are they going to know about it if they haven't heard about it? And how are they going to hear without somebody preaching to them? Like God uses people to reach people. Found people find people. That's what we do. It's our nature. It's our hope. Matthew 5, 6, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The way you live your life, how you engage people, can actually have a spiritual impact on others. They see the light. Maybe it makes them curious. They want to know what's going on. It becomes a conduit for God to do his work. So one of the things you pray for is, God, help me develop a relationship with this person. I, I've joked about it, but it's not a joking matter to me at all. I do 90% of my meetings at Waffle House. There's a pragmatic reason. If not, I'm spending eight, nine hours a week, if I'm not careful, driving all over town. That's a bad use of the church's resources. That's just a bad waste of my time. So I park at Waffle House, and I say to people, if you want to come meet me, you're one person. I got like 700 so you come here. It's not that I'm better. It's just a bad use of resources, all right? So meet me at Waffle House. That's part of it. Here's the other reason. I got those people on my heart. I, got, I know their names. I pray for them. It's a big deal to me. It's a really big deal to me because it's the one place I go all the time where people know me and I know them. And I know there's only one or two, depending on when I'm in the, in the, in the room, that really have a connection to God or his church at all. And for most of them, I'm their pastor, and they've never been here. And they asked me to pray for them. So when you meet with me at Waffle House, um, I'm doing two things. I'm giving you my attention, and I'm working my mission field. And if you go to Waffle House and eat, you better leave a big tip. Don't you undo what I'm doing. Don't you undo what I'm doing. Don't undo it. You tell them you go to Four Corners, you leave a big tip. You tell them you go somewhere else, you leave a penny. That's the way this works. All right. Right, and what am I doing? I, I'm building a relationship. So that when they have a need, they ask me to pray for them. And then I do. I do. Number five. You pray and you say, God, would you, would you make me bold in generating and taking opportunities to speak the gospel? Ephesians 6. Paul says it this way. Pray and then pray also for me that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Boldness. Some people say, I, I couldn't do that. Well, we've done our best to make it easy. You just say, hey, come to the food truck rally with me. That's how it would start. And then you go home and you pray like you've never prayed. God, when they go, don't let Ben have an off Sunday. Don't let him screw up. Don't let him try to tell the story of the three parables and forget one of them. <laughs> Don't let him mess up, God. Let Will sing the good songs this Sunday. Let check-in go well. That's what you pray for. God, would you soften their hearts so that as the gospel is presented, it gets in there. Right? 
you get bold to do the part you can. And what you'll find is over time, the habit perhaps of not being bold, you'll grow in boldness. And I didn't say grow in arrogance, grow in weirdness. Just boldness to talk to the people you know. Talk to the people you know. Number six, pray that God would send other believers into the lives so they would encounter that person as well. Look at Matthew. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God, you have other people out there. Let them rub off on the person that you put on my mind. Paul acknowledges in 1 Corinthians. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. It's the way it works. You'll do your part. Somebody else will do their part, and God gets all the glory. It's really awesome that way. Number seven, pray that God would extend his mercy to the person. Look at what Peter says. The reason why we're still on this earth, the reason why God hasn't shut everything down, why he hasn't come back, closed this earth down, and, you know, got rid of it. Here's why. 2 Peter 3. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. That's the promise of his return. As some people count slowness. But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So God, extend your mercy. That's your heart for this person anyway. Give them the time. Put them in the right environment. Be merciful to them until they come to that place where they bow their knee before you and say, I too need a Savior. Number eight, pray that God would enable the person to believe in Jesus as the Savior. Not just a good person, a good teacher, a good example. John chapter 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. This is Jesus talking. He does not come into judgment, but he's passed from death to life. These are the words of Jesus about himself. If you believe what I'm saying, you believe what the Father says about me. That I'm a savior. I came to save the world, and I can save your life, and I can save theirs too. Now, what we've done in each one of these uh, sessions, we're going to do it right now for a few minutes, is I'm going to show you kind of how I pray for lost people. I'm going to invite you to do one of two things. I'm going to invite you to just watch me for a few minutes. You're welcome to. Now, when I pray, I'm not going to use the names of the people I'm praying for. Um, I, I just, you know, that's a kind of a sacred trust that I have between me and the Lord, and I don't, I don't want to, you know, reveal anything or make a person who might watch this feel incredibly uncomfortable. But I want to show you how I do it. You can do that. You can watch me, or you can pray for the person that God put in your life. So who are you going to pray for? I have a list of about seven people right now. And by the time we come to the food truck rally, every one of them will have been invited by me personally to be here. And when on Tuesday morning I'm meeting with our staff in our all-staff development meeting, I'll share those names with my staff. That's how we are holding each other accountable, right? I can trust them to treat that material well, and it's not publicly shared. But each morning I'm praying. Sometimes I pray for you, I pray for my family, and sometimes I pray for the lost people. And typically when I'm praying, I have my Bible open. I, as you know this, I throw on music, so the guys are going to do that for us right now. And uh, we've been listening to the same two songs uh, all the last three weeks. We're going to do it this week and next week as well. So guys, go ahead and throw that on. Let's see what song this is. This is the song, Let It Be Jesus. It's one of my favorites right now. It's the first song 
Let it be all about him. And then the next song you're going to hear is What a Wonderful Name, the name of Jesus. It just keeps me focused. Because my prayers, I'll use the pronoun I a lot. <laughs> you guys do that? I, I, I'll say I a lot. It's okay. It just didn't complete. My prayers are about Jesus and what I want him to do. And so I've got my little list in front of me. And I just pray. So I'm going to bow my head. You can pray for the people in your life. Father, I am grateful that I can come to you. And I'm grateful, Lord, that the people that are on my heart today and I love and feel drawn to, I'm grateful that you love them more. And as much as I can see the need, you can see it more clearly. In fact, I'm grateful, Lord, that the only reason I'm drawn to them is because you're at work in me. Because left to my own, I'm selfish. I'll pray about me and mine. And I'll forget that there's a whole world out there. I'll be so focused on what's in front of me and what is urgent that I'll forget what's important to you. And so, Father, I today discipline myself to rally around your heart. It's not my heart. It's not my hope. They're not my people. It's not my gospel. It's yours. And I'm thrilled you let me be a part of it. It's a sacred privilege that I could come to you knowing that your heart for these people is already soft. That you're already reaching out. That you already care. In fact, you already sent your son Jesus to provide a way for them to have a relationship with you. But Lord, you told me to be about the business of lost people. And so as an act of obedience and as an act of compassion, I come to you. And I ask, Father, that you would draw, you would draw her to yourself. God, I'll be faithful to be kind. I'll be faithful to listen. I'll be faithful to pray. But God, you have to do the drawing. The best I can do is serve up a meal. I can't make anybody want to eat it. So, Father, would you draw her to yourself? And, God, would you soften her heart to the gospel? There's just a lot of pain there. And there's some disappointment that she's attached to you. And it breaks my heart, Father, that when she thinks about you, there's this deep disappointment it's hardened her heart. And God, I can't do heart surgery the way you can. I, I can't make the seed of the gospel receptive in her life. But you can. You can show her your true nature. You can put into context the events of her life. She can see them differently. Would you soften her heart, Lord? 
She'd be open to the gospel. She'd be, she'd be even open to church and the church family. Father, would you then also remove the spiritual blindness from her eyes and help her see her need of a savior, not just her need for help. Yes, she's been honest, Lord. There's clearly things she knows she needs, but I don't hear ever any sense that she needs a savior. So, Father, would you do the work that only you can do? And would you remove the spiritual blindness from her eyes so that she could see the world the way you see it? Loved and precious but broken. And as part of this world, we're loved and precious but broken. And we need a Savior to fix us to make it right. And Father, would you help me to continue to build a relationship? Let the trust between us grow. And let the transparency grow. God, let her, let, let her believe that I'm a, a safe person to talk to. That I really do care about her. And Father, not that I would get glory in that or that she would think that I was caring, but that, that, that it would turn and she would see that it is you that has worked in me, that left to my own, I don't care. I care about me. But because you have been good, and because you have been kind, and because you have rescued me and you have set me right, you have built my heart for compassion that doesn't come natural or easy to me. And Father, I want to thank you that over the last several years, you've given me a greater boldness, but I pray, God, for even more. I, I, I want to be bold like the Apostle Paul was bold when he was about to walk into the arena and his friends said, don't go, they're going to hurt you. And he boldly pressed through, stood in front of thousands of people and proclaimed your good news, caring more about the gospel than he cared about himself. I want that kind of boldness. I want the kind of boldness that, that sends missionaries around the world. The kind of boldness that Pastor James has when he goes into the jungle of India and he faces people that are hostile to your good news. He shares the gospel and he gives a call for baptism. God, I don't want these to be stories about people I read about. I want to be that person. I want you to use me to boldly proclaim what you've put in my heart, to do it without worrying about what people think about me. God, I want to be more concerned about what you think about me than what anybody else thinks about me. And Lord, would you send other believers into her life, other good, kind Christians? God, keep the mean ones away, the ones who haven't got a hold of their tongue, the ones who are always negative, the ones who are stingy and selfish. Don't let her encounter those kinds of Christians. God, send her the good ones the kind that it's fun to do life with, the kind that it's enjoyable to share concerns with, the kinds that can be trusted. Let her see that your church is a wonderful place, yet made up of broken people, but people who are pressing in together in the good work that you're doing in this world. I pray, God, that you would send other people who would water seed 
who would cultivate, who would pull weeds and help the, the gospel to grow in her life. God, my, my heart is broken for the pain she's been through. And I, I would pray, God, that you would bless her. You would give her financial blessing. Lord, as she cares for not only her own adult kids, but her grandkids and all the dysfunction that exists there, I pray, Lord, that you would be merciful to her. There would be moments of laughter and joy. And she would see that she's serving your purpose and can do even more so as she's a light even to her family to the degree that she can be without even knowing the gospel for That you could use her mightily, Lord. That the legacy of her family up to this point can change. Be merciful. Be merciful. And Father, I pray that it won't be long until she bows her head and says, Jesus, be my Savior. Wash away my sins. I trust that you're a good God who gave his one and only son. I declare Jesus is the Lord of the universe, but also my life. And I ask this in your powerful name. Amen. And amen. Now, I don't know who God has put into your life that he wants you to pray for. But I'm telling you, he does. It's not, there's not a doubt. Every single believer in this room is called to petition God to do his good work in somebody's life that you're close to. If it's your husband, don't you give up. Don't you give up. You keep praying. If it's your kids, don't you give up. Don't you give up. The Bible says in Galatians that we should not grow weary in doing what is right. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not faint. Don't you give up. Number one, you obey God when you pray. If nothing else happens, you have the smile of your heavenly father. If nobody ever turns to Christ, you still have the smile of your heavenly father. And number two, I've seen the heavens open up when people pray. I've seen things get accelerated when people pray. I've seen people far from God fall on their knees literally and say, oh God, I need you. And their lives have been radically changed when people pray. Don't you give up. We're gonna take out our connect cards right now. And we're gonna take a few steps together as a congregation. I wanna encourage you to take these notes home. Don't put them on a table somewhere in a folder somewhere, throw them away. But write some names down and who you're gonna pray for. I've been talking about praying for lost people. And it's very possible that you came into this room today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Here's what you should know. Before you ever walked in this room, we prayed for you. And we gave money so that you'd have a seat to sit in. There'd be lights over your head and air conditioner in the room. Before we even knew who you were, we cared for you. We built this church in part for you. We gave money. We were sacrificial with our time. We literally, many of us gave our blood, sweat, and tears to literally build a building for you. And it's not because we're awesome. It's because the love of our Heavenly Father touched our hearts and we were found. And found people find people. That's what we do. And so if you're not yet in a relationship with Jesus, if you're still, as the Bible would describe it, lost, 
I wanna give you a chance to say today to your heavenly father that you're ready to be saved, that you'll trust the work that Jesus did on his cross and resurrection and to the best of your ability, you'll follow him with your life. He'll become your savior and your Lord. Or maybe it's next step B today for you that you wanna go public with your faith. I was talking about boldness and you knew that was you. You haven't even yet gone public with your faith in front of the body of believers who are already rooting for you. If you haven't done that, why don't you check the box and let's have a conversation with you about your baptism or next step C. Who would say, hey, I'll pray for my lost loved ones more diligently. If that's you, would you just check that box? And when the offering bucket comes by in a few moments, you're just gonna put it in there. These are the things we're gonna pray about together. And I'm gonna send you a gentle reminder about what you said. I won't harass you but you're gonna pray and maybe you'll pray through the way I've showed you to pray today. Or next step D, who'd say, hey, I'll invite four pe- or two people to the 4C food truck. I'll invite them this week, I'll remind them next week and in two weeks we'll pray, the- just two people, just two people. Next week when you come, we'll have a handful of cards on your seats so you can use it as an invite tool. But if you already have a relationship with you, you can say to them, hey, I'd like to buy your lunch in two weeks. I'd like you to come to my church and we have some great food. It's an easy invite. All right, and then next step B, who would say, I'm ready to sign up for Grow? Send me the link. That's what you heard about in the announcements. It's also information on the front of your message notes. If you have any interest at all, you check the box. We have our first membership class a few months ago. 89 people have become formal members of this church. This is the second opportunity to do that. There'll be one more this year for you to be able to do that. This is our opportunity for us to grow deeper together and to do the mission that God has called us to do. I'd like you to take that connect card and hold it in your hand. And then if you're a regular part of this church, I'd like you to also go ahead and get your offering ready. We're gonna take next steps together spiritually, but we're also gonna facilitate next steps being taken in this church. So if you call this church home, this is for you. If you're our guest, it's not really a time for you. You're welcome to give. But for people who call it home, they make a deep investment here. There are a handful of people who are coming forward that will prepare to take, uh, receive your offering that you give today. You've got a couple moments if you want to fill out a check or get some cash together. While you're doing that, let me tell you something really exciting. So 13 years, 13 years. It's a big deal. Do you know this, that the average church plant that starts today, only one in five makes it past five years. Only one in five. That's that's horrible. That's bad business. Let me tell you why I think God smiled on this congregation and the stats are different. I think it's because people like you caught a vision for what God could do in this North Cincinnati area. And you didn't just, you know, nod in approval to it. Many of you, and some of you have been with us the entire time, you decided to get into the deep end of the pool. You're like, you jumped off the diving board and you said, hey, I'll give it my time. I'll let my heart go there and I'll give it some of my money. And you rallied around the mission of bringing, we've worded it differently, but we have clarity now. You've rattled around the mission of bringing real love now to people. And I want over these next two weeks, as we ramp up for our anniversary, 
I want those of you that have been carrying the burden here to feel the smile and the joy of your heavenly father. I don't always know the heart of God, but I know this with great clarity, that when people like you have stepped up to be a part of God's mission in this world, your heavenly father smiles. He takes pleasure in that. And I am humbled to serve alongside with you, creating a church, an imperfect but good church in North Cincinnati. I'm grateful. And the little act of giving that you do right now in a very practical way has facilitated that. And I want you to hear me say with great clarity, thank you for 13 great years. And I don't think we've seen anything yet. I don't think we've seen anything yet. And I know this, when we go to, when we all get in heaven together and we're standing around the throne of God, we have no idea how God has used what you have done with your time, your heart, your prayers, and your giving. But you'll know it on that day. Let's pray about our next steps in our offering. And then let's worship our great God just a little bit more. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. God, I want to thank you that people loved me and my family enough to pray for me. And they invested in us and they invited us and they were kind to us. They were good to us and they loved us. God, would you make us to be that kind of people who don't just have high hopes for what you're going to do in people's lives, but we'll actually change our habits. We'll rally around your heart in prayer. We'll be people of prayer who love the gospel and love people. God, I pray that this week, there would be more prayers going up from this church to the throne room of God than has ever been before as we carry specific names of people before you, asking you, God, to grip them with the gospel, to save them, to find them. Father, I want to thank you for the next steps that we're taking, even those in this room. People who are saying, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me with your shed blood. I want to I want a relationship with you. And even now, Lord, they're making things right. I thank you, Lord, <laughs> for those people who are investing financially in this place. They're taking out of the abundance of your goodness to them. They're, they're giving a little bit back to you saying, Father, use it. Make your gospel go wide and far. Do your great work in this world. And God, one more time, thank you. Thank you for 13 years. We look forward to all that you're going to do. We know the best is yet to come because you're involved. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, God's strong and holy son. Amen.